welcome to Fraser's Ridge, an Outlander podcast. I'm Tiffany, and I'm here with a couple of my best buds, Katie and Aaron. Hi, guys. Hey. Hey, Tiff. I can't wait to bring you to my own island one day. <laughs> um, that should I guess you can come to but I would love it. <laughs> Please let me come. Oh, my God. As long as it's not like Animal Crossing, and I got to be picking up sticks and, and apples off the ground, I'm good. <laughs> Aaron, you'll be safe there. Oh, good, good. <laughs> All that matters. <laughs> oh, oh, I love it. So, well, Tiffany, uh, you're... Yeah, you're doing the summary today, right? Yeah, it's my turn. So let's dive into this episode of Beauty and the Beast. (laughs) I mean, Outlander. (laughs) No Did anybody else have this thought? I mean, please. Yeah, I started humming the beginning bars of There's Something There during (laughs) uh, some of the dinner scenes. Absolutely. So the title card, we see a cobbler working on shoes and he's measuring a lift against the pack of cards and he puts the cards aside and adds the lift to the heel of a shoe. After the title card, we see Forbes and Bonnet are in a brothel together discussing Bonnet's imminent move on claiming Jemmy as his son. Forbes advises that Bonnet should kind of lay low in his illegal activities a little bit, that they might get in the way of him, you know, legally a a Jemmy become his son. And Bonnet jokes that he'd like to lay low under his usual mare. And we pan to this woman in the back corner of a brothel with her boobs all out. (laughs) And I swear, you guys, I thought for a second it was Fanny Beardsley. (laughs) <laughs> oh that's that's totally valid oh yeah. mm-hmm. I was like, what but then we see her face a little bit better and i was like oh no it's not that's my bad <laughs> oh my god <laughs> so forbes isn't too bothered about like bonnet smuggling and stuff like that but he's heard that bonnet is sex trafficking women right this is the thing that forbes is like really can we just pause on that for a minute and bonnet assures forbes that it is because of these dealings that he has such powerful allies and there's really no need for him to stop selling the women forbes scoots his chair closer and we see why he really is so concerned that bonnet might muck this whole thing up he's wondering about his cut in the deal we learn that bonnet plans to basically off Joe Costa and Duncan as soon as he has custody of Jeremiah and Forbes will get 20% of Joe Costa's fortune. And then the very last thing that we learn here that's important is that Forbes is actually going to be traveling to Cross Creek tomorrow to see Jocasta. And Bonnet tells him not to speak of this to anyone. And Forbes says confidentiality is his livelihood, which I was like, <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> like how you uh, kept Jocasta's will willing river run to gem totally on the dl true that right? um so what did you guys think about like this scene between forbes and bonnet and the tension kind of between them a couple of things first of all the previously on <laughs> i <laughs> i just have to go back to this for a second because i forgot how bad jamie's bangs were yes <laughs> i was like okay how was i face blind to the banks for a whole season i never noticed them but i noticed them right away we're so bad and we've made fantastic hair choices this season so 
Mm-hmm. Kudos on that. <laughs> I thought Pip or Forbes, whatever we're calling him. <laughs> He was great in this scene. Like, he really sold it. I mean, it felt like a big Basil exposition scene, kind of setting us up for this whole episode of what was happening or, like, why are we here in case you forgot. But I love his line of, like, you have a priest? And and then I like what the the move with the chair because um, he's, like, uh, Bonnet's clearly getting distracted. So he like moves his chair so that Bonnet has to look at him because he's like in the way of him looking at the prostitutes. <laughs> and he's like, no, you need to listen to me right now. So I thought these were like really fun elements to what's a pretty minor character. So I thought it was neat to kind of um, see the actor really embracing yeah. this role. So I, I, I liked that. Me, nothing too much. I mean, real quick, I actually just didn't, understand what was going on to be honest with you guys in a sense of like what is their plot like i remembered the whole jemmy will everything like he's trying to get custody but i couldn't figure out how that like related to getting um you know the estate and stuff so i was a little stressed because i'm like okay how's this gonna unfold are we gonna have to wait like more episodes or like next season the prostitute in the background that was like so funny just like really like, kind of looking at him i'm like is he looking at which one is he looking at is he looking at her <laughs> like really like <laughs> what so i don't know it was, it was cool the frasers and the mckenzie's are in a cafe discussing their plan to lure bonnet into a trap and ian enters dressed in his finest mayflower pilg- pilgrim outfit and we learn that he's going to be the one to pretend to be Alexander Malcolm. Yep. I guess because, you know, Bonnet knows Jamie and Roger so well. So what did you guys think of Ian's disguise? And was he a wise choice, you think, to play Alexander Malcolm? I'm bummed they didn't show, like, the makeup scene. Like, mm-hmm. how she's talking about, like, correcting his tattoos. And then I thought there was going to be some cool, like, throw to the future, like you know, makeup, like, I'm using L'Oreal this, and like, I don't know, whatever. But I'm um, just like holding the makeup to the screen. But, and then Claire is, the Claire is the one who like kind of answers and is like, yeah, I'll get some clay. But then I'm like, wait, really? Well, again, from where? <laughs> He's so white. How is, are we going to pull off these like shades of clay on his face? I don't know. So I really wish they showed that like a little bit more and at least made it like visible like later on. So what did you think, Katie? They're just so, sorry, I don't even know the right way to say it. Jamie's just so overconfident and it's like just so ridiculous. And then I'm, I get so sad when young Ian walks in in his like everyday pioneer wear. I was like, like, no one can make you blend, Ian. Let your light shine. (laughs) (laughs) I was so bummed. I really love this transformation for him. So it's like, it's almost like Jamie putting on the red coat for me, like seeing Ian go back to the, the like stuffy clothes. Claire and Bree are walking about Wilmington and they're visiting various tradesmen in order to have the components of a syringe made. And as they walk through the streets, Claire's discussing how she really needs a needle because Jamie has a knack for almost getting himself killed every time he gets out of bed. And she mentions that he's like a cat with nine lives. 
And then we shift to this creepy perspective of someone kind of hidden behind some wooden structure watching Bree and Claire walk through the street. So first, I just want to say I really liked the inclusion of the Nine Lives chit-chat. In the books, if I remember correctly, Jamie tells a story about visiting a fortune teller who told him that he was like a cat with nine lives, like literally he has nine lives. And so a while back when I was reading the books, I remember thinking through and counting to figure out how many lives he had left. And of course, now for the life of me, I can't remember how many Mm -hmm. I counted. What did you guys think about the two being watched? And what were you kind of thinking? What was going through your head at this moment when you noticed somebody was spying on them? Yeah, honestly, I totally forgot about that part. I'm glad you're I'm glad you're mentioning it yeah, because I was just so too. distracted by how much of a snooty bee Claire was being about this guy. <laughs> she was so mean, like, <laughs> he doesn't know what a syringe is. It's like Claire, <laughs> it's 1770. Like, give the guy a break. Why? Just the lecture she has to give on like her need for this. And I don't know, it just felt like so high and mighty for me. Maybe it was because I really like this glass blowing guy I was like Mm -hmm. oh he was such a like scene stealer for me they definitely build this like ominous moment between the music and the scene like you're definitely feeling the tension build how about you Aaron (laughs) first of all I totally missed bonnet like I did not catch up on that and I'm glad you guys are saying it now because later I'm like what the heck like how did he end up here I just totally (laughs) threw me for a loop so I'm glad you guys said that I'm like it was a plot hole that I could not figure out my other quick thing with the syringe is you know how progressive is this town they're like she's getting like different quotes and stuff and she's you know (laughs) finding like different companies then we have like the shoe place that can easily make prosthetics this is some industrial uh little uh little town here a lot of craftsmen in uh, Wilmington human trafficking it's all there you know (laughs) (laughs) everything you could need in one place next jamie ian and roger arrive to a dock in a wooded area they enter a building that's at the edge of the dock and as they scope it out they discuss whether or not bonnet might bring men with him and roger shares his insider information and overall things are kind of feeling a little bit more comfortable between jamie and roger as they're talking back and forth and kind of a not so competitive way like they used to. Claire and Bree are walking along the beach looking for medical supplies like <laughs> seaweed, sponges, and seashells. And again, we're watching them through the perspective of some sort of voyeur, and we know that they're in trouble at this point. Even though we know that they're in trouble and somebody's watching them, I don't know why, but I just did not feel angsty at this point. Maybe because I kind of knew what was coming, but I don't know. I just wasn't feeling it. Were you guys feeling anxious or worried? You're right. I actually was totally like beach vibes, relaxed, finally this cute moment. And then I'm like, if anything goes on, like they're totally safe. They could see down the beach. There's so much visibility. The one thing I did notice was finally we're seeing some indigo. (laughs) Like we like literally (laughs) both of them are like decked out in blues like head to toe brie especially had so much indigo on and i'm okay they dipped into uh those freshly dyed dyed clothing and then it tied into like the beach vibes the mm-hmm. beautiful blue beach vibes and the whales it had this like new england kind of feel and i think it's nice that you notice that continuity <laughs> the scene in the like beach shack didn't work for me 
honestly. <laughs> I just like Roger was so prideful and he was like, I have to do this. And it's like you were just saying you have no training <laughs> yet. This is the right choice for you guys to make. <laughs> and for me, the music was building in such a way in their scenes that I was like, you could just tell it was going to fail. Like, maybe you don't know yet that something's going to happen to Brie and Claire, but you could definitely hear in the music that something was not going to go right for Ian, yeah. Jamie, and Roger. It felt like the buildup to like a Quentin Tarantino scene. <laughs> it was it was like it was a lot. And then the Jamie line with him, if you fall, I will avenge you. And it was just like, oh my God, are you hoping he does? <laughs> mm-hmm. That is straight from the books, by the way, because like I told you, I had to go back and see what really happened in this book. And in that part. You know, Jamie says what he has to say. Roger replies. And in Roger's mind, it says that in that moment, Roger realized why men would follow Jamie anywhere. Nice. And now I get what was trying to be conveyed here. I didn't get it at all. I, it fell flat. It was just like, whoa, that escalated quickly. Like, (laughs) we're talking about people dying now? Like, okay. (laughs) But I do remember that now that you mention it. And it was... I found it more meaningful in the books, I guess. And then the scene with them on the beach, it was really pretty and the scenery was beautiful, but those whale clips just felt so hacked in. Like, it was was bizarre. Yeah, like they have this mother-daughter time on the beach and they go whale watching and talk about Moby Dick and race along the beach. It was, I mean, it was sweet. It was just like, wow. It was just like this this tight shot of like Brie and Claire's face and that immediate transition to like whale cresting, breaching the water. And it was like, uh, these don't even look like they're filmed in the same like hue. <laughs> but I mean, whales, the whales were beautiful and, and it was cool to see them. Brie talking about her childhood never works for me. Like her always, remember when we did this when I was little? It's mm-hmm. never touching. I'm always just like, okay, right. Brie. You were always just a 30-something-year-old woman. Always. <laughs> Rowboat carrying three men approaches the dock where Jamie and the rest of the guys are hiding. Ian begins talking with the men and Bonnet is not there. He's questioning them about you know, why isn't Bonnet there? And you guys, I just, Ian is just not tough enough. He is playing this whole thing a little scared and book Ian would chop their ears off and wear them as a charm for the next a thousand years. I just didn't, I don't know. It felt so weird and he felt so like weak and scared to me. Mm -hmm. That's true. True. Well, he's still, you know, getting over his, uh, his girl issues, you know, it's like spreading through his whole body, man. He can't fight. He can't shoot. He can't do his own makeup cover up. Like, it's, it's ridiculous. Like, <laughs> but like, I do think that this whole entire thing is a little ridiculous. Yes. Plotting to murder Bonnet is one thing, but like, there's like, they kind of knew people would be with him. Are they planning on like mm-hmm. taking them down too? As we kind of see, I feel like it all goes a little bit far from you know, their ethics. Yeah, I don't know. What about, what did you think? I I think for some of the detailed plans they've put together in the past, this was just like such a 
cock up. Like they just like <laughs> it was like, wait, these are the same people who came up with like an elaborate plan to get the Browns girl back with this dude that they just decided was the one for her. I just, I don't know. Again, I, I guess they were just so overconfident. Yeah, they really aren't good planners, are they? <laughs> no, this is a bad plan. So as they battle it out, Roger starts out not doing so hot. He gets his pistol shot out of his hand. But then in the end, holding his own, fighting with a knife. And Jamie just kind of lets it go on for a bit. And I was wondering... Like, do you think Jamie was trying to let Roger get a little experience before facing Bonnet? Or do you think he really was just kind of watching to see and assess how Roger fights? I don't know. It's a tough question. I felt like he was impressed. Mm-hmm. Like, he was like, oh, Roger can handle his own. It was like Jamie's moment of, like, the super Zoom Instagram filter on Roger. <laughs> <laughs> But also, he like, was... a little awkward. It was just an awkward scene, it too. Was it was like, You know, because you're like, why wouldn't he automatically jump in, like, father-in-law? <laughs> like, save him. Like, help him people. out. Like, help him out. Um, but he does hold his own. They end up interrogating one of the men about Bonnet's location. And then we cut to Claire picking up shells as a foot enters the field of view behind her. And it's Stephen mother-effing Bonnet, of course. <laughs> He saw them in town and he followed them to the beach and Bonnet asked Claire how his son is just as Bree starts coming around the dune. Bonnet holds Claire at knife point and Bree picks up a pistol. Bonnet says he'll let Claire go if Bree goes with him. He just wants her and his son. Claire elbows him in the gut and Bree shoots but the gun misfires. She rushes forward to help her mom, but neither woman is a match for Bonnet, and Claire gets knocked out, and we're not quite sure at this point what has happened to Bonnet and Brie. So, were you guys surprised to see Bonnet here? Yeah. Or did you see it coming? I mean, Aaron, you talked a little bit that you thought, like, how did Bonnet get here? Yeah, I was surprised. I was like, how did he get here? Like, it just didn't make sense to me. Even him not showing up for, you know, the the whole thing you know the whole the dock at the docks i'm like this doesn't make sense this is a legit deal going on here you think you would be there but yeah like it caught me off guard it was a little bit movie like like oh my god really like even when they first show her like show them at the beach and you're like oh bonnet's not gonna show up there there's no reason he would show up there like why would he show up there and then he shows up there and you're like what (laughs) and then even just the fact that they couldn't escape him like if anything they just did warm-up laps on the beach. Hit the sand. Get a move on. <laughs> there he is. I don't care if he's got a gun. I'm sprinting, like, Harvard race track style, flying. Come on here, Outlander. Like, was so over the top. But still highly entertaining, <laughs> I will say. It was good. <laughs> I don't know. How'd you feel, Katie? So, I think at one point he says something like, or someone says something about the baby and whether or not it looks like him. And I was like, dude, the baby looks just like him. (laughs) 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 But then Sophie Skelton delivers some wines while Bonnet's holding Claire. And they just, again, were like a little flat for me or it just like took me out of the scene. But I did, I was, I was running, I was a little pressed for time while watching this one. So my husband watched it with me and um, her gun misfires and 
Chris laid some history knowledge on me about guns misfiring at like at the during this time period. Like I guess he has like huge issues with the movie The Patriot. I'm sure you guys are well aware. Uh-huh. Um because of how accurate all the shooting was. Yeah. So um this is what I was saying about when what's her name tried to kill herself in the woods yeah. with the gun and it was that that gun oh. misfired or missed her. It was like they were super inaccurate because of how they were made and did not fire. Yeah, so he told me you had a 25% chance of it going off correctly and actually hitting someone. So you oh only God, had a one in four chance. Like those odds. That poor yeah. bison. Yeah. Poor bison, man. <laughs> <laughs> a horse on. <laughs> So 25% chance of it hitting someone, 50% chance of misfire, and 25% chance that the gun would jam. Mm. And he said this he remembers these statistics. Yeah, this is this is what his his head's full of, right? So <laughs> Yeah, but like they would be ready. Like they're they're facing Bonnet. You think she'd be like, here's our gun, mom. This is what we need to protect us. It's not going to misfire. I cleaned all the valves. It's ready to go. I got bullets. I practiced a couple times. It's like the one you brought ready. back in time with you, Mom. Yeah. <laughs> well, like, I, think, I think that speaks to why Claire has a knife, right? Like, they all had these knives because the guns yeah. sucked. And yeah. then if you care about why they were so inaccurate... Basically, it was because the bullets were circular and also they would jam a lot because of the lack of interchangeable parts. So that's uh, a history lesson from Chris's corner. Oh, they couldn't have up- upgraded we in Williamson? Like, regularly. <laughs> yeah. Chris's corner history correction. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> so Claire awakens in the sand and immediately starts screaming for Brie. But Brie and Bonnet are both gone. We move to an image of a home on a large island and go inside the home to find Brie asleep on a couch. She wakes with a start and like moves immediately behind the couch because she sees Bonnet is right there across from her. We learn that they are in Bonnet's home on his island, so he's doing pretty well for himself owning his <laughs> own island. <laughs> like an episode of Island Hunters. <laughs> like, what on earth? <laughs> I can't even. This I was Dr. Monroe. This Sorry, was one of my favorite scenes. It was probably my second. We haven't gotten to my top favorite scene from this episode yet. But seriously, when he says, you're safe on my island, I just hope to God someone makes a Stannis-esque like, hype video yes. for this. <laughs> like, oh my God. This to me was on par with, with the... Hundreds of people are going to die tonight. Thousands. <laughs> like, the sunglasses and like the chain drop down and like the oh my God. go off. I was like, you do you, Stephen Bonnet. You do you. <laughs> so ridiculous. I just, I don't understand how he's doing so well. He was literally being ready to be hung like the first, like first time we see <laughs> Stephen Bonnet, he's about to be like hung for his whatever laws he broke. He's got a rap sheet, man. Like, how is not anybody like, yo, Stephen Bonnet, like, get, get the, block the doors, call the police, like, every time. And now he's got his own island. It makes absolutely no sense. I'm like, oh, and all the people, like, probably hate him and want to kill him. I don't know. I just, 
it, it was so nuts. It was it was just so crazy. <laughs> totally nuts. Totally not. Uh, <laughs> Bonnet tells Bree that he left Claire safe on the beach because he has no quarrel with her. Bree says that they have a quarrel with him, though. And Bonnet is like, still? Is this because <laughs> I couldn't remember your name? And Bree looks around. And this was a moment that I did love Sophie's face. Because she looked around with the perfect WTF look on her face. Like, is this dude for real? Is that really why he thinks that I have a problem with him? Yeah. <laughs> so so <crazy>. good. <laughs> yeah, she does great face work, but like sometimes her her line delivery for me just doesn't quite hit. Same. <laughs> so Bonnet brings out some creepy ass dolls that he wants to give to Jim <laughs> and says that he wants to be a real father to him and that he also has a gift for Brie. Claire, we like jump to Claire who finds Jamie and the rest and tells them that Bonnet has Brie. And then we shoot back and Belle enters wearing her gift. A golden <laughs> sparkly ball gown. <laughs> Belle sits down to have dinner with the beast and teach him table manners, like how not to slurp his soup. Like what? <laughs> but, like seriously, guys. What? Why would she put that on even? Come on. I, I don't know how she wasn't trying to get out windows like where is her survival tactics so i was totally on board i felt all of the beauty and the beast vibes but again since i was watching this with my husband he totally changed my perspective on this whole scene because she comes in and all he says is he turns to me and he's like it really bothers me that they're not eating at the opposite long ends of the table That's so true. (laughs) And he goes, he goes, have the soup. What? (laughs) Oh. And makes this Batman reference about Bruce Wayne and Vicky Vale sitting at the table and they're so far away. (laughs) They can't hear each other. I died. I actually had to pause and like take a minute to laugh. Literally I don't know not who the hell is cooking all this food on this island. Did you see this spread? <laughs> it's private I know. Chef. Is Epi doing it or just bringing it in? <laughs> I don't know. I was wondering if Epi's like also secretly a fantastic cook as well. Wait, is, is Epi the prostitute? Yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Bonnet says he wants to learn how to be a gentleman in order to be a good dad to Jem, question mark. It makes not a lick of sense to me. I don't get this as a motivation for Bonnet at all. I don't know. I don't buy it. He's but... just so, like, his mar- he's just lost his marbles. Every other time I thought of Bonnet, I was like, this is the scariest, villainous, scoundrelous. Now I'm looking at him, and he's literally, like... I don't know, like a kid, like what's the guy who had the split personalities and he was like going between the different like people, like the monster, like the beast and like, oh, um, um, yeah, it was part of that unbreakable universe. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I just feel like he was so crazy, just so nuts. It was a little unbelievable. Like I couldn't figure out how he was trying to play the character and it, I, I felt like he, they were trying to have him come off like this sociopathic 
serial killer who like doesn't understand feelings or emotions and it was like just tell me how to be and i'll be that way like it was very like dexter-esque or something i don't but then at the same time in the next scene which we're going to talk about he's like crying about never being hugged it was like do you care about feelings or not i don't know yeah so i'm i'm with you it was a little flip floppy but again like the beauty and the beast dinner is still (laughs) i'm still riding high on that so beauty and the beast is not done guys we're not done with it because dinner's over and brie tells bonnet that you know men and women in polite society do not spend time alone together so eventually he asks how should they be passing the time and Bree says that she could read, he could read to her or she to him because she loves books so much. Here, here's my library in my house on my <laughs> island. Like, it's all for you, Bree. But he... I just could not. Yep, so, yep. <laughs> Bree talks about how she likes to read because she enjoys putting herself in other people's shoes and identifying their motivations and they're usually love money or revenge bonnet asks what she thinks his motivations are and she guesses money because he must want river run and he tells her that she hurt his pride she says well it can't be love and i haven't done shit to you basically so it can't be revenge And Bonnet starts to approach kind of menacingly and says that there's two sides to every story and she doesn't know his. And that he thinks that Brie and he could learn to love each other for Jemmy's sake. And he asks Brie to teach him how to love. She turns and and says she'll read to him like she does to Jeremiah and begins to recite Moby Dick from memory. What did you guys think about Moby Dick? First of all, I mean, I think it's great that Brie and Claire love this book, but I tried to read it and I hated it. <laughs> I just want to say one thing. And it's, yeah. did you guys notice the actual book was husbandry? Yeah. Like the, the book she's reading is husbandry. And but I'm like cracking up in my own imagination because I'm like, was, was Bonnet just like, okay, I need books on how to be proper. How about husband? Okay, husbandry. Okay, I can't read, but... You know, maybe I'll just like I picturing him like laying in his bed with like all the books spread about and like husbandry is like laying there and he's like flipping through it. And then there was a weird machine on the page. Yeah. So it's like husbandry. I'm like, <laughs> what is he out building? I, I don't know what he could possibly be building, but it was just so funny. And then I'm like, okay, Roger must be reading this book too. Okay, he's doing some sort of woodworking. Maybe he's got the same husbandry edition that Bonnet has. We have some parallels. Who knows? Why has she not, at this point, even mentioned rape? She's not using her biggest defense. She's not saying it. Like, straight up. Like, you raped me. You you totally, like, violated me sexually. It wasn't said at all. Like, literally, the entire episode. And it was, like, bugging the crap out of me because... You know, even later when she's talking to Effie, whatever her name is, she doesn't say it. Like, just say it, girl. That's all I got. (laughs) Her reciting Moby Dick from memory was, I call bullshit. Yeah, bullshit. (laughs) Me too. That was ridiculous. Like, what? I can't remember what we just talked about. How is this girl doing Moby Dick? Like, come on. 
like, oh, I don't know. Maybe there's a person who really does love Moby Dick that much out there. I just, I struggled with that. You know, that's a big book. Memorize the Snake Venom book, not Moby Dick. <laughs> like, like, I, I do, I do love Stephen Bonnet's little kid esque facial expressions as she's telling this story, where he's like, "Oh yeah, really? <laughs> That's what happened." Like he could relate, oh, you know. Like the book about a seafarer, or sea yeah. captain, or. But again, it was like they. It would go so hot and cold where, like, he would have absolutely no emotion to then showing these moments of warmth. It just, like, it was very, I wasn't sure what I was supposed to get out of it. Is he a sociopath or not? I don't know. Yeah, Yeah, it's like sociopath. Again, I'm trying to find the right word. Was raised wrong, had his, like, orphan life totally messed him up. Like, you sympathize for him, like, a little. But then you're kind of, like, it's more true, I guess, to the fact that maybe he's not one thing. He's, like, a blend of all this crazy. And it just, it's, I don't know, just boils into this this crazy character. I felt like there was supposed to be more shock value with this I could learn to love you thing. But I didn't, like, yes, it's she was raped and like this is a horrendous thing to be asking of her and i totally agree with all of that but yeah for a man in this time period i don't feel like what he's saying is so absurd you know what i mean like i don't think his perspective on that is is so shocking to me that like it's making me think he's a really bad guy because i feel like there were Probably people who thought it was their right to do that. And I think, you know, a lot yeah. of people didn't get married for love at that time. They got married for the property or like what it brought them. So like none of what he's saying is shocking considering he's from the 1700s. I, I mean, like, it's absolutely horrendous to watch. And it's like, yuck, how could you ask that of her? But if you like really look at the character and the time period that he was right, he's from... I don't feel like it's so off base. Yeah. I just think that Bonnet, and maybe I misunderstand his character, but I think his motivations truly are money and power. And I think he would just as soon have killed Bree. I don't see why he thinks Bree needs to be in this equation and that Bree needs to teach him to be a gentleman. He just can adopt and take Jemmy without her and without being a gentleman i just don't get it or even yeah or even raping her like he could rape her again honestly i know that sounds so messed up but like why not do that because it worked the first time and he has witnesses there if he gets her pregnant again so like i don't know and then also can i just point out i'm pretty sure it happened (laughs) this like she goes to bed and she like sleeps in that like room (laughs) And, like, she slept, like, in the weirdest position. I know. Like, when she woke up, she like, was like... <laughs> like, I mean, come on. I like the idea that you're right, Aaron. The way she woke up was just, like, so crazy. And it was, like, stumbling to bed drunk. That's how you fall asleep. It was, like, such a weird way for her to wake up. But just going back to oh Bonnet, God. I just... I like the idea of him being so self-centered that he thinks... She wants to be with him and wants a family and, like, wants the true father of her child to be there. And then, like, they're going to go off 
and live this idyllic life at River Run with all of this money. And he's going to finally be this like respected member of society. Like I, I like that idea. I didn't feel like it played out well or something because that is scary. It is scary to think like that. He's that bananas that he thinks that that's a real possibility and, and like, happy ending scenario like that right. but I, I struggled with his motivations but which just makes it funnier yeah. that they like talk about what his motivation is because yeah. <laughs> it was like I still don't know so, what like are you pointing yeah out that you think his motivations never, yeah. are not I don't know you're messing up his motivations in this story I don't get it but he yeah. never even told his story even right it's just he was an orphan and didn't have parents Like, he didn't tell his story. Like, come on. And I think the other little... We get a lot of Bonnet backstory crammed into awkward little places throughout this episode. And one thing that we skipped that is important is that we hear about Bonnet's reoccurring drowning dream. Mm -hmm. Which leads to him telling Brie that he was an orphan. And we got one of the best lines of the episode here where Bonnet asks Brie if he if she thinks lesser of him and Bree says that she couldn't think any less of him, which I thought was, I thought she delivered that line very well. Mm. Mm. So after Bree wakes up super awkwardly in that weird <laughs> position, <laughs> she sees a woman setting the table for breakfast and Bonnet supervising. Bonnet greets Bree, pulls out her chair and serves her tea, trying to act the part of the perfect gentleman. And Bree asks, you know, could we live here? Jemmy, Brie, and Bonnet. And Bonnet looks pretty pleased that Brie has come around and says they can live anywhere, including a place in town if it pleases her. Then Brie takes it as a green light to just start moving way too fast and tries to say that she should go alone to get Jeremiah. It's like, girl, could you give it a little more time? We see yeah. what you're doing. Yeah, yeah, like she's pushing so hard. Yeah. For real. So like, pump the brakes. Like, it's clearly <laughs> not working. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Somehow, though, Bonnet at least pretends to believe her, or definitely believes her. Uh, after some convincing, says she can go, but they should seal the deal with a kiss. And Bree sacrifices for Jem and kisses Bonnet. <laughs> but the kiss is not good enough. I don't know what he was looking for. Like, it seemed like a perfectly fine kiss to me. I don't know if he wanted more passion or like more love or lust or what it was, but he didn't feel it. He calls her out for lying and says that he let his feelings cloud his judgment. And the last time he did that was when he was a young man working on digging out a foundation with a group of men that he thought liked him, but instead they got him drunk and left him for dead in the foundations of the cellar. My God. Who are these people? (laughs) All right. I guess they do have some backstory. This is so weird. Why couldn't she just man up, though? Just man up and kiss. Like, that's what bugged me. I'm like, girl, you're at the last step. Like, oh, I know there's trauma here, but, like, do it, girl. Like, kiss for your life. Like, come on. Like, sell it. And, like, I I would totally get it if she was having, like, 
issues because he raped her, but they weren't showing that. Like we had episodes earlier where like she's literally like drawing Bonnet. She's so like out of her freaking mind. Even when she was like carrying the secret, like she was so mentally stressed about Bonnet. And now she's face to face with him for the first time since knowing he's alive. And she's not showing any of that exact stress. She's actually like quite poised. And you would think, okay, well, if she's not being impacted that way, she can at least man up and sell a sexy kiss to this guy. Like, just do it. Get out of there. Like, come on. And like, so I don't know. Yeah, I I agree. I, I felt like these scenes were all very muddled. And I don't, like, I never knew exactly how to read them. And was he... Did he always know and like he was just toying with her and was going to use this to be like, nope, you lose. Like, I'm on to you. Yeah. Now listen to my sad backstory. Or was it he wanted to believe her and then she really just couldn't close the deal? And you don't get like you're saying, Aaron, I thought I think if that was what they were trying to convey, that he did believe her, but then she couldn't finish this like selling it. Like right. if they had included like a snippet of her having some sort of reaction because she was seeing something in her head or oh, whatever, yeah, yeah. it would have helped me understand <laughs> a silent film, perhaps. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like it would have helped me understand exactly what was happening like was it her or was it him why didn't that work you know right totally but at the same time again i didn't know what was going to happen guys like i didn't know if this was going to carry on there were moments where i was actually a little convinced you know thinking of like how she didn't want to actually marry roger at first you know like i there was a part of me that's like okay is she actually maybe into him is she is something happening like was she raped and it like did some weird psychological conditioning where like there is a part of her that's like attracted to him and like maybe they are they keep coming together so like me literally not knowing the future of the story was like kind of mesmerized by that little section of it and a whole fantasy kind of started developing in my head of like wow is this how it's gonna unfold here like is is i don't know if we have, i don't know clearly that wasn't the case as we find out but like she did sell it like a little bit like I didn't know I was at the edge of my seat. And I think maybe that's a perspective that isn't entirely for the TV audience, but like, I don't know. I I... <laughs> I guess I'll say that. So they chopped up and moved around some book things here, Aaron, like the abduction does not happen in this book. And when she is abducted in the book, it lasts a lot longer and you have a lot more interaction between mm. Brie and Bonnet and his story unfolds a little bit more slowly. And I do have to say, when I was reading those chapters, there were moments that I was like, is Brie like kind of fascinated with this guy or is mm-hmm. she coming around to him? Like I, I kind of was led to feel that way too. So I think it's like intentional okay. that you're picking mm-hmm. up on that. Okay. Like you're not quite sure. Like, is she developing some level of like empathy for, for Bonnet? Right. Right. Yeah. They oh. do a good job. They kind of keep your rate questioning that like right, right until, well, even the end kind of, you know, mm-hmm. well, I mean, there's gotta be a certain level of curiosity on her part to understand this person who may in fact be the father of her child and therefore her child may have similar interests or issues or behaviors and it's like 
yeah, wouldn't you want to know more in certain capacities or wouldn't you want to find the empathy for that person who maybe has a behavior that your child also exhibits? Good point. Right. Yeah. She's so analytical. Like, mm -hmm. I think that would be natural for her to think that way. Mm hmm. I mean, I'm not going to lie. Like, I wanted Brie to hug him when he's, like, sitting there crying. I know, like, right? He's, yeah. Like, got, like, his nose is running. And I'm just like, oh, my God. Like, I just think of my own kid. And I'm like, oh, like, if, he, if my kid was sad and I didn't hug him, I don't know. It, like, totally yeah. pulled at me, you know? And she's like, yeah. okay, good night. I was like, oh. Yeah. She was like, a lady would say good night now. Which, again, right. back to Game of Thrones, remind me of, like, a girl would. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I was just like, okay, I think I have Stockholm syndrome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, I think we're supposed to. They're like yeah. intentionally trying to confuse us. And but I, I, the next, oh, go ahead. Oh, sorry. I just feel like it's so unfair because, you know, we as a viewer are now so removed from the original events and, and Brie getting raped, which is so traumatic. And I feel like we're downplaying how absolutely horrendous this event was to the point where now she's like maybe we could make this work you know or, or maybe it's not that extreme but it's just like I think you're right Aaron they needed to pull some more of Bree's like trauma, trauma for us yeah. to feel beyond just what she was presenting to Bonnet yeah. to help keep it like right. whoa this guy is the worst like yeah, we can, yeah. I, let's get out of here but she she don't forget scenes earlier she pulled the gun out to kill him like she mm -hmm. was on that scene. their goal was to come and kill him i don't get why they didn't put any type of survival scene like that in this captivity like go hug him and slit his throat with a piece of glass you've been hiding in your pocket from like right. breakfast like something mm -hmm. there's like just me as like a very detailed visual person i saw so many ways she could have like totally done something or struggled or even mm -hmm. sacrificed her life to kill him or something you know what i mean to save I don't know. or to save yeah. jack I mean, so, she could have reached across that dinner table and stabbed him in the eye with a fork or something. Yeah. They were I so close. I thought she was going to steal a knife. Like, yeah. I thought she was going to, like, pocket the... Yeah. Anything. Literally anything. Use her sex appeal. Like, she could have seduced him and made a move. Like, there's so much. There's so much. Like, I'm going to have well, to... Sorry, we'll let you... We'll let you go on, Tim. Well, we find out for sure, again, what a monster Bonnet is in the next scene, which I wish I could oh. kind of skip. Yeah. Um, no. In, I know. <laughs> Effie walks in. She has a tray of food and Bonnet dealing with the rejection of Bree's not good enough kiss or whatever runs over and starts assaulting Effie in front of Bree. But I guess that she seems willing also, so maybe it's not assault. I don't know. It was very violent. And Brie is disgusted and freaked out and she runs and hides behind a door so she doesn't have to see. But Bonnet is like doing this all for her right, to right. mess with her head. The sex worker after um, says that for some more money, he could watch her and Brie together. But Bonnet shuts that down and leaves to go get her money, leaving Brie and the woman alone. And Brie learns her name's Epi and that they're on the island Ocracoke. Brie tries to get Eppie's help, but she's too frightened of Bonnet, and Eppie advises Brie to just watch her tongue and do as he says, and she'll be okay. Oh, my God. I, it was just, like, I don't know. It, it was a totally raw scene. It was just 
you know, intense, shocking, scandalous, like him, like totally banging Epi and like looking over and it just, and then I think he said like, oh, this is what you're missing or something like that. So that's when you kind of go back to what I think one of you said, how was this his plan all along? Was he really like just truly pretending because he really just wanted to like bang her or like get money and like, you know, not have to rape her, maybe just, you know, fuck her or like whatever, like who knows? It was just, I don't know, it was weird. And the character of Epi, she's just so funny. Like, I feel like she's like, I could just picture her today with, you know, like 50,000 Instagram followers and an OnlyFans account. And she's just, you know, <laughs> like Twittering porn and like, I don't know, just totally going and having like three ways and living that poly life. And like, yeah, girl, like, you know, he doesn't usually just watch. Like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I I also enjoyed Epi and I think like it definitely is this moment of pause where you have to go wow how different is the life that this woman has lived that she is giving this is her logic and this is the knowledge she's imparting to Brie in terms of like yeah you must be special (laughs) and just like what has this woman seen you know and just like saying that he's not even a bad guy you know it was just like like I'm I'm glad like Epi gets a little love later in the episode and hopefully it sets her life on the right track or whatever but yeah just crazy that whole scene was very intense how transactional she sees it all speaks to like the life she's living it's like holy god like this is business to her it's not emotional she's like she's here for the money you know like that's her motivation it's like very clear and um she's like i think at the end of the day she's like laughing all the way to the bank you know so (laughs) so back Wilmington, Roger has Philip Wiley up against the wall because I guess he's the muscle now trying to get information <laughs> from him. <laughs> <laughs> Wiley swears he did not betray them. All he knows is that Bonnet frequents Mistress Sylvie's brothel. Forbes arrives at Jocasta's Manor. And we see Duncan just, like, doting on her, which is so sweet. He, you know, fixes a little pillow behind her back. He wants to get some snacks. She shuts it all down, you know. And he says that, you know, she has his blessing to do whatever she wishes and leaves with Ulysses and Duncan as Forbes enters. Joe Costa informs Forbes that... She'd like to bestow some of her fortune onto her family, and he clearly hates this idea. Then we're back in Wilmington. Claire and Jamie enter the brothel, and there's, like, this one sex worker by the door that just eyes Jamie up and down and is like, (laughs) oh, it's my lucky day. (laughs) (laughs) They say that they're there to ask if anyone knows Stephen, Stephen Bonnet. And we pan to see that Effie is there. And she looks like kind of terrified. Like she doesn't want to talk to them. At River Run, Jogasta begins dictating the money that she'd like to give to each relative. And Forbes is getting more and more agitated as she goes on. When Jocasta says that she wants to leave money to Lizzie, he just loses it and tells her no. And she's like, what do you mean no? 
He sneers, you can't give my money away. You've left me no choice. Then he puts a pillow over her face, trying to smother her. Jocasta manages to, like, knock over a table in her struggle. And the bell she uses to summon Ulysses, like, falls and makes noise. And Ulysses rushes in, saves her by breaking Forbes's neck, and then runs over to Jocasta, gasping, mistress. And then... As, like, the Highlander love Scottish music starts to swell, he goes, Jocasta, and she breathes. <laughs> <laughs> did Did any of you guys think that she was suddenly not going to be blind when she opened her eyes? No, <laughs> I didn't think that. <laughs> <laughs> she, like, opens her eyes so strong, and I was like, oh, my God. Maybe he, like, smothered the, like, sight back into her. <laughs> like... <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I was like, that would be such a twist, right? Do you guys think that Joe Costa knew that Forbes was not an honorable guy and was okay. setting him up? Like, because this feels so yeah. on Joe Costa to, first of all, be giving her money away. But then I'm like, what? I mean, she had Ulysses and Duncan leave a room. So that felt a little weird. But yeah. it seems like, to me like she was setting him up. <laughs> yeah, oh, I know. Sorry. I, no, I'm sorry. I, I had the same thought. At first, I was like, oh, this... She's like a sneaky bee. Like she's like handling this and she's going to call him out. But then I, but then I was like, no, wait, I don't think we're supposed to think she re- realizes. I don't know. I'm just like, what about her husband? She's just like, oh, I'm married now. Like he's behind her on the couch. She pays no attention. She's just like, just go, just go. And then she's like, no, I'm, I'm going to give all your money away to my family. <laughs> this worked out good. I don't know. Like, and she didn't even like show any emotion. Like, oh, Murtaugh's dead. Like, I, it, that's just totally over and done with. And so I don't know. She sang her song, Aaron. It's over. <laughs> yeah, oh, that's true. <laughs> oh my God. No, I couldn't tell either. And I, because she was so smart in the way she played Roger. So I thought like for sure that this was intentional. And I loved Forbes again in this scene. Like he's just such a good actor. He's looking at the the, um, upholstery on the couch and like the painting behind him. And then like, she's like deciding to give Lizzie money and he like loses it. And I was like, oh my God, someone didn't have second breakfast. (laughs) 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 Eleven thieves. (laughs) Right. Oh my God. It caught me off guard, too. I couldn't believe that happened. I was like, is he really going for this right now? Oh, my God. Well, okay. And I kind of... Duncan is such a gem, you guys. Like, he's such a good guy. And I was so sad that she just was like, you're dismissed. Yeah. And I really wanted it to be him that came in and saved her. Oh, I know. (laughs) Yeah, you're right. We have to go back to my favorite scene in the whole episode, which was... (laughs) Wiley scampering off after (laughs) (laughs) Wiley scampering off after like he tells them about uh, the brothel and like they let him go (laughs) like the commitment to like sissy run was so fantastic all I see is like like... Herman like every time they show him The, the mud like squishing and him like running with his arms up. <laughs> Someone give that man an Oscar. Like, it was just like... <laughs> I mean, he was so committed to that character. 
Oh my God. I'm going to have to rewatch and savor this moment a little bit more. I'm sorry if I cut you off. Aaron, how did you feel about all of this? Um, well, no, I just, again, I thought the scene was just as ridiculous as the other ones, like with Auntie Jocasta and, um, but it was, again, like I told you guys, I didn't know that the whole thing was going to come to resolution this episode. So I'm still thinking like his plot is going to like unfold, but no, it just one and done like next snap done it just totally caught me off guard but i loved it because the second you knew he was dead you're like okay that is foiled like okay yes money saved (laughs) all those people can get the inheritance girl needs a new lawyer she better start looking like i don't know but um the thing is i guess the, the the misbelief for me is like yeah like she was trying to hook him up with brie and i'm glad they threw that fact in there because i couldn't remember that whole entire scene and part of the story but then you start realizing like yeah like why is he why did he break break bad so hardcore (laughs) he got rejected and then this opportunity like he's a man of the law supposedly you know either he's really good at being um you know his duplicity or Jocasta is just not really good at like picking up on people's character. I mean, I don't know. I mean, maybe be fine. Like, um, I, yeah. I'm so confused. I hope we get maybe next episode a little bit more clarity on this yeah. whole issue. So, in- oh, sorry. It just felt oh. like this. He was this leftover loose end that they had to tie up this episode. So we got this like semi weird scene. Yeah. They they should have disposed his, disposed of his body in you know Mordor though. Well, like, we, <laughs> a, a slave just killed this prominent white man in society. Like this is a problem for them. It's gonna be a problem. Yeah. Back in the brothel, Epi is denying knowing Stephen Bonnet. And as she walks away, Claire notices that she has a limp and is kind of clutching her hip. She offers to help her. And lets Abby know that one of her legs is actually longer than the other. Claire takes a deck of cards and puts them under Eppie's heel until her hips are even. And tells her to go to any cobbler and have the lift made. <laughs> Eppie doesn't have the money for this. So Claire gives it to her. And Eppie asks why she would do this. And Claire says, because when someone needs help, you help. And this convinces Eppie to finally share what she knows about Stephen Bonnet's location. And this is also where the title card comes in. Um, (laughs) What did you guys think about Claire using compassion and caring to get information out of Eppie while Jamie and Roger and Ian tend to use violence this episode to get information? Yeah, again, I liked Epi from earlier, so I was happy to see her, like, make the right choice and help out, and I think that's a really interesting point, Tiff, that I don't know that I picked up on during the episode, Mm. that, like, the kindness is what finally caused them to get forward movement, Um, and I think that's great, and it was, again, just, like, this very... It, like, brought me into the moment so much when she's like, that's all well and good, but, like, I don't have money for that, you know? And, and I was she was like, like, I'm not popular enough, like, meaning she's not <laughs> yeah working yeah. enough. Yeah, and it just, like, I again, I felt for her and was just so happy to see her getting help and, like, again, hoping that this makes her life, even if it's just the littlest bit better. Yeah. Um, thank God. Like, good. Good. 
I I was literally like, okay, what is she gonna do? Like, is she gonna do like a chiropractic adjustment? Like, is she gonna go like full like <laughs> arm crack back over the shoulder? And then I'm like, okay, she's gonna fix whatever it is that's going on with her. And again, the snake bite was still an obstacle. <laughs> like, come on here. Like, she's about to like totally do like vertebrae correction. Um, but then when it came down to just being like an orthotics issue, I was like, all right, okay. Sure. You did your <laughs> she knows like this stuff. Like I like I hate when she does the I don't know this type of medicine card, but I know all this type of medicine card. It's like, mm-hmm, okay, girl. Um, I'm glad she reveals it though. And I mm-hmm. hope we see more. Yeah, I like bon- her. I like her too. I like Debbie. Bonnet brings Bree into a room where Captain Howard is sitting. He's there to buy her. So you know, he kind of starts evaluating her and touching her, touching her hair. And did you guys get the, did you have the subtitles on? And did you see that it said moans creepily as he was touching her? Oh, oh God. no. No. <laughs> oh, gross. After his evaluation is done, Captain Howard offers to buy Brie for six pounds and Bonnet agrees. Captain Howard's money is at his boat with uh, some of his, I guess, hired hands. So they head outside. And Bree struggles against Bonnet as they head towards the boat. Manny, the guy that has Captain Howard's purse, walks over with the captain's money with another man kind of trailing behind him. And as he hands the money over, the man behind him is shot. And Claire and Jamie and Roger and Ian are running forward towards Bree. Eventually, Bonnet kind of just tosses Bree aside. Everyone but Roger crowds around Bree because Roger only has eyes for Bonnet. He chases Bonnet down and beats the crap out of him (laughs) in slow motion. Mm. Yeah, totally Quentin Tarantino scene right there. Totally. As Jamie kind of looks on approvingly. So what did you think of this slow-mo action? Um, well, I want to just jump back to like the whole selling Brie. Like, okay. here. what is this taken? <laughs> like suddenly it is. Like, he's like up for like sale and like he's like getting all up on her. And I'm like, are we for real right now? Like, this is so crazy and funny too. I was like, oh my God. What do- I was wondering, Aaron, if this was like... This was him, like, maybe his real motivation here is revenge, right? Because, like, she said, I think your motivation's money. And now he's like, well, if that's what you think my motivation is, I'm going to sell you since right. all you think I care about is money. True. Good point. But, I don't, again, like, was that a happy coincidence or is that how they intended it? I don't, yeah. I don't know. And still, I, guys, me not knowing, like, what's going to go on in the future books, I'm like, oh my god, they're gonna take her on this boat. Like, I actually didn't think, how are we gonna wrap this up this season? Like, they're gonna have to like travel and find her, and like, oh my god. So like, I'm so glad that that scene like went straight down like that. Um, and yeah, like they went for it. But I also thought it was funny that like the guys who were gonna buy her just like like they just got away. Yeah, <laughs> just, it like, was like arms up, like, I'm out. Uh, we're gonna go now. <laughs> you guys got this. We're gonna go. Like, okay, peace out. Not my uh, fight. Not yep. my fight. Like, I would have bought her, but like her hair was not the color I wanted, so it's cool anyway. <laughs> Don't you worry. <laughs> Captain oh Howard had the best maniacal laugh. 
like, did. I, don't, I don't know if you guys heard it, but it was like such a good bad guy laugh. It was like, <laughs> 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 it was like <laughs> Awesome. Oh my god. <laughs> I was sad that the guy didn't get killed with like an arrow. Like I was hoping Ooh, yeah. Ian would have had his bow. Right. And not the rifle. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. Like, let's let Ian be his true Mohawk yeah. self. Okay. Yeah. Like, I would love to see some more of that too. 99.9% and... accuracy on that bow and arrow. Yeah. <laughs> No misfires on that bow and arrow. I'm telling you that. (laughs) And as far as like the slow-mo two camera fight scene, it was like you might as well have just spliced in another clip of the whale for me. Because it just like (laughs) took me so out of the moment. Like or maybe some like old timey Batman like kapow. Boom. Oh yeah. Do you guys remember um, do you remember Grindhouse, the Quentin Tarantino movie? Yeah. Do you remember yeah. the one with the girls at the end with the car? Like, they finally get what's-his-face, and they're taking turns, like, punching him in slow motion. It's all the vibes from that. Like, legit. Mm-hmm. Like, um, But I like that he, like, he manned up. Roger manned up. Like, it was good. It was solid. Yeah, I was glad Roger got to get his punches in. Mm-hmm. And then now... Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, go on. <laughs> no, I just, I just wish it could have been less about the shots and more about Roger just having his moment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It detracted for me instead of adding. So they tie Bonnet up and wonder if his men are going to come for him. And Jamie thinks not. He's kind of like on Roger's point of view from before when they were discussing the pier. Like they are not that loyal to him. They're probably going to be glad to be rid of him. And as Jamie, like, throws some water down to Bonnet to drink, he bends down and says, whatever happens, know the last face you see on this earth will not be a friend, which I think is important to remember for later. Mm -hmm. Yep. Bree says that she wants Bonnet to stand trial, and Claire is worried that the law can't really be trusted because Bonnet has so much influence. Roger pipes in that, you know, Tryon might be able to help. And Jamie agrees. Again, he's like just on. <laughs> he's backing Roger up. Whatever Roger said. He's Tryon's like, I just, got you. Tryon's just like, yeah, I'll ask you whoever. Like, a good, bad. Whatever just give think. me their name. That's it. I'm done. Yeah. Like, you got it, bro. <laughs> but, like, also because Roger's such a Tryon fan, you know? Yeah. Like, this is the dude that just hung you up from a tree. Yeah. Like, like what? You like, should trust him. Yeah. yeah, you definitely want to go have that conversation, Roger. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> so, after they agree that Tryon will see Bonnet condemned, we fade to a flock of birds, I think geese, flying through the air. And then to Bonnet tied to, I guess, what would be called a pier or a pylon, yeah, or a I'm pylon? not sure, yeah. a pylon uh, yep. uh, in the water. He's sentenced to death by drowning, just like his dream, his nightmare. And he he screams as he hangs there and the water rises. The spectators leave gradually as the water continues to get higher. And finally, the water's up to his chin. And again, we see geese flying overhead. Bonnet starts breathing, like, panic-stricken as the waves 
rise up to his mouth and his breath is just getting faster and faster and faster until suddenly he looks a little confused and his breathing starts to slow down as he stares at something ahead of him. And then he's shot in the head. We (laughs) see his head fall into the water and then pan back to shore where Bree is standing with a rifle. She's with Roger and as Bree turns to walk away, Roger asks, was that Mercy or was it to make sure he's dead? Cool. And she walks away without answering. And the episode ends with an image of Bonnet's face just flopped over in the water. So what do you guys think? Was it Mercy or was it to make sure he was dead? Well, I watched the after commentary with the, you know, the directors and stuff. And they said what I actually felt, which was, you just don't know. It's like open-ended. It's 50%. It's like 50-50. Like, you know you don't know and maybe she doesn't even know you know maybe it's a little bit of both um i would hope it's a little bit of both but then i would be totally okay if it's just her wanting to blow his freaking head off and make sure he is dead um i thought i also didn't really know about this form of execution (laughs) i was like why is there not like one of the lawmakers or whoever like the executioner is like hey this is bill he's gonna hang out here for 24 hours to make sure that they're dead and monitor the scene here (laughs) no just like we're going to assume the tide really goes up and kills them. Like, what if they have like a seven foot guy? Like, like, I mean, like, there's, this is a weird system here. Um, and then her coming out with a gun. I was like, yeah, girl, I didn't misfire this time. It was such a, such a badass scene. <laughs> like I just loved it and it closed it out. And I, and it was good. Like, I, I just thought this was fantastic. And then I liked that none of them were on the beach like during the actual trial like at least i thought like it didn't seem like they were but there were people that clearly hated him wanted to see him dead so it's like okay hell yeah way to go lord Tryon. like and one last thing sorry i am so glad and it went right to the execution i'm like are they gonna have like a trial episode like oh my god like like you can't handle the truth like i just don't need it like it's just too much too much like they went right to the execution bada bing bada bang Game over, end game. Bonnet's storyline is closed. I think Roger shouldn't ask questions he doesn't actually want the answer to. <laughs> mm-hmm. But Agreed. I agree. I think I think it's both. I think he. Uh, I think she, why can't she feel both? You know, she's right. probably. I think if anything, they definitely portrayed that she was conflicted in her sympathies with, mm-hmm. for him. This was all very true to the book in that. Bonnet had this huge fear of drowning and um, the whole thing with Brie. But I don't know if I liked the like panic montage. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yep. Uh, I guess I don't know how else do you can. I don't know. It was a little eerie. Yeah. yeah. It's like, oh. And then you actually started thinking of like, what if the water like, like it gets to that tide where it's not killing you, but it's like you still can breathe. Oh, it must be such a mind game, which is interesting because he plays mind games. So yeah, I guess it was fitting. But I don't know. Was this his his uh, sentencing because he was a pirate? Like, is this what they did for pirates as opposed to like hanging or something? I don't I don't know. We need Chris's corner. I know. Well, I asked or he was there and he was just like, why are they drowning him? Like mm-hmm. Chris felt really bad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you don't know, Chris. You don't know about it. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, it was like, 
they really wrapped this whole episode up in a bow. There was a definite beginning, middle, and end. That's for sure. Yeah. And they gave us, like, torture. Like, like maybe it would have been a cop-out if, like, he just took a gunshot to the head earlier on or was stabbed. But no, we got to see, like, literally, like, torture, like, redemption, like, you know, victims, like, seeing this evil guy killed. And then, surprise, gunshot to the head still. Like, literally, it was, like, all pieces of the cake coming together perfectly. I don't know. And, yeah. Kate, uh, Tiffany, though, what what did you think, though? You gave the summary, but... So, well, I thought with the question about, you know, was it Mercy or to make sure he was dead, I see that, that it definitely, she could be conflicted, and it's a little bit of both. I lean a little bit more to the Mercy side, actually, because... In my mind, if she wanted to just make sure he was dead, why not just kill him on Ocracoke and throw his body in the ocean? Yeah. Or something, you know? So I think she just maybe got it. Maybe she was thinking a bit about his nightmare and how he was sentenced to die and decided (sighs) to put him out of his misery. But I think she also does want to make sure he's for real dead since they had like that issue with the when he escaped from prison before. Yeah. Like, so. I like that we're calling that an issue. Yeah. There's a small blip. Just a small yeah. issue. Well, <laughs> that you... someone could come and save him, you know, at some point. Yeah. But... You bring up a good point too though, like, you know, why why didn't she just kill him? Like, literally, the plot was to kill him. Like, that was it. Like, like right. hide in the thing and kill him. There was no due process. It was just, we're going to work and cap the guy. Like, that's it. Like, it just didn't... Yeah, good point. Good point. I thought, you know, I'll give my final thoughts first, since I wasn't, like, the hugest fan of this episode, and I don't want to end on, like, a downer. So, <laughs> so I'll go first, that I'm giving this episode a seven i personally didn't like that the threat of bonnet and the whole abduction plot from the books was wrapped up in a single episode there was a lot more there and i thought it would have been nice if we had gotten all of this bonnet backstory across maybe just two episodes rather than like 15 minutes of an episode we throw in these little tidbits about bonnet and his past it just felt rushed and like they were forced to deal with bonnet and didn't really want to but there were also major highlights of the episode two that i enjoyed like you know epi i do like that they stay true to the end of bonnet like you know, how he had this threat of, like, his nightmare coming true. And I liked a lot of the interactions between the different characters. So I enjoyed it, but just not one of my favorites. I'm going to give it a 7.5. Uh, there, Like, the comedy elements for me were just, like, so... Like, I laughed. I laughed at things in this episode. And um, so that, for me, is, like, a big deal. I don't know that they were intentional for me to be laughing at. But um, either way, it made me laugh and it made me smile. So I had a good time. I didn't like the ambiguity in a lot of the scenes. Like, I I still don't know what, what the intentions or motivations were in certain scenes or exactly how the director 
and the writers wanted me to feel versus maybe it was all supposed to be ambiguous. I don't, I don't know. Um, so that it just felt murky. So I will miss you, Jimmy. Um, (laughs) but, but, uh, you know, overall I was entertained. Uh, Well, I started at a 10, 10 out of 10. I messaged these two, like, best episode ever. Like, oh my God, this is going to win, like, the awards on this episode. I was in the 10.10 range and thinking I was going to convince them to bring it up to 10.10. And now I'm dropping (laughs) down into the sevens with a 7.9. Wow. I'm glad we did this to you. That's a far drop. It's a far drop, but, like, I understand why, but I also. Oh, maybe I can give it like maybe I can give it an eight. Maybe I'll I'll kick it up a like it's an eight, okay? Um, because I was very entertained, like literally. Um, I also you were like Tiffany, you were saying how you didn't like that bonnet and all this crisis was wrapped up, you know, so quick in one episode. I was on the opposite side where I liked that it was wrapped up in one episode if you guys remember um at the beginning of the season i had actually thought that bonnet died in the you know in the previous season like my mom you know Mm -hmm. told like pretty much told me that he was dead and i was like convinced he was dead and this was over with so finding out he was alive felt so much like brie finding out he was alive i was stressed about it i was like oh i was over him like i was ready to like move forward with the story so having like the entire bonnet crisis come to a close in this episode, like full through, you guys even had me convinced it was going to continue into next season. So like I had this unlingering or this lingering feeling of like, okay, is there going to be more bonnet? Um, but you know, I liked Effie. I thought she was funny, like an interesting character. I thought the scene was just totally like the the reasons I give it more of the high end rating is because the episode was completely different than all the other episodes that we've seen. It was just it was not at Fraser's Ridge. It was like you know on a beach on an island. Like we got to fight. <laughs> there was like human trafficking. There was you know um, su- attempted seduction and weird threesomes and like it was like almost threesomes like Moby Dick there were a lot of like fun elements to it um but it also seemed like they were just thrown together <laughs> like they were just like all these pieces just like thrown like vomited together but fun episode I'm glad Bonnet's dead yeah thanks so much for taking us through this Tiff yeah anytime you know I enjoy obsessing over an Outlander episode so <laughs> I'm down to do that any day I'm always excited to talk to you guys about it. Yeah. Yes, definitely. Well, thank you all for listening to this episode of Fraser's Ridge. If you enjoyed it, please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast. And follow us on Twitter at Fraser's Ridge Pod and Instagram at Fraser's Ridge. Bye. Bye.